we can relax. Joe Biden is going to hold a press conference. It's going to happen in our lifetime on Thursday. So we're told. He's going to hold a press conference, and I don't believe there's any way he's going to then take questions from whomever is assembled in some kind of random haphazard way. No, 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 no. There will be five questions pre-assigned, at least in terms of who he's going to pick, and he'll have a basic idea of what the topic is. And then they're going to end it. He's going to walk right off. Are we taking bets on this? We need to take bets on this because I think this is the way it's going to go down. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. So good to be with you. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. The phone number 833. Got Tony. 833-468-8669. One of the questions I don't think is going to come is about what this pandemic has done to the Constitution and to people's view of it. The very idea that we would take a, a, a virus and we would say, how do we make this as political as possible has been something that I have lamented and we've discussed it here. From the beginning, the very, very worst part of COVID is that instead of saying, how do we work on this? We had people who asked, how do we politicize this? And, and uh, to an extent, very, very proudly, very proudly playing in, in this space of taking a virus and finding ways to hurt a, another political party with it. Madness. Well, Noah Rothman had a piece out in Commentary Magazine leveraging racism for a pandemic-level power grab. And it comes to the idea, as I was reading it, that if you think there are issues, right? It, racism is, is, a, uh, is a public health crisis. Housing is a public health crisis. This is a public health crisis. Economic inequality is a public health crisis. Well, then... A pandemic is a perfect way to decide these things and then do something about them. No, Rothman joins us right now, uh, editor over there at CommentaryMagazine.com. He's the author of Unjust, uh, which is a great book uh, on, on social justice. Um, and... Uh, Noah Rothman's The New Puritans, Why the Left is Waging a War on Fun and What We Can Do uh, About It. Uh, That book, I think, is the one that's coming out soon. Noah Rothman joins us right now. Let's start with this work here at CommentaryMagazine.com. Isn't that what we saw? People who saw the pandemic as an opportunity to move forward uh, a very, very progressive agenda in all the ways that it can be seen, whether it's housing or racism or, well, what any subject they decided upon. Yeah, I certainly think so. I mean, one of conservatism's um, chief concerns about expanding the public's obligations when it comes to health care is that when it doesn't take a lot of intellectual labor to create a facially convincing tangential relationship between your health, your wellness, your personal care, and every other aspect of society. 
So we have in the American Journal of Public Health, for example, which I think you were referencing earlier, a concept elaborated on the the researchers who composed this report called Public Health 3.0, which essentially elaborates on this idea and notes that if you really think about it, Access to transportation is a public health crisis. Housing availability is a public health crisis. Income inequities, which are indelible, is a public health crisis. And most, of course, and most importantly in their minds, racial discrimination, both its active and legacy effects, are a public health crisis. And this is a new idea, obviously, during the summer protests in 2020. Um, I think close to 50 or more municipalities around the country raced to issue declarations affirming that racism, racial discrimination is a public health crisis. The American Public Health Association, the American Medical Association signed on to this idea. And it's a very vague idea and a vague notion. Um, And obviously, there's some truth to it at a philosophical, theoretical level. But when you get down to the efforts to try to translate that affirmation into policy you get something that doesn't quite resemble health policy in well fact, let's get into a little bit like of the of, exact opposite of health policy but let's get into a little bit of why that happened when you saw cities uh, say that racism is is a is a is a health issue that was very much to give cover to the idea and you discuss it in the piece that we were told not to gather, we were told to wear a mask, we were told to stay six feet away from each other, unless, of course, you were protesting bigotry, in which case, gather by the thousands, masks be damned, go have a good time. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, in that sense, the affirmation that racism represents a public health crisis didn't augment the efforts to arrest the spread of COVID, just the opposite. It was used to circumvent them. And as you said, I mean, there were, a, there were half a dozen lawmakers off the top of my head, uh, governors, state-level lawmakers, mayors of major cities, who affirmed that in this moment, what's much more important is to get out in the streets and have your say and pursue social justice uh, in this very agitating fashion. Well, you know, and on all of these, uh, not statutes necessarily, because they weren't laws, but edicts, mandating social distancing and face masking and up to and including summonses and fines for people who violated this sort of thing went out the window because the much more important effort on the part of uh, people who who pen this a thousand epidemiologists doctors social workers medical students healthcare professionals who put pen to paper to say pervasive racism was the quote paramount public health problem facing the nation paramount as a number one singular not to be uh, eclipsed by any other issue um, that tells you exactly everything you need to know about the, how genuine these people's concerns are. And as I say in the piece, if, you've, if your idea is that society's all wrong, that it needs to be reorganized from the top down, that individual behaviors need to be amended as well as institutions, you've never seen a tool as powerful as the pandemic. Talking and you're never to. going to get that out of your mind. That is the means to achieve the ends you think are so necessary. Well, let's now dig into that. Talking to talking to Noah Rothman of Commentary Magazine. You can get the book Unjust, U-N-J-U-S-T, Unjust. Get it at Amazon.com, wherever fine books are sold. Let's talk about how the, the, the virus was used in this way. I 
have discussed on, on numerous occasions that the Constitution does not get suspended because there's a vaccine. The Constitution is not fair weather. It is all weather specifically and, and, and to be utilized and remembered when times are tough. Everything When times are easy, well, it's easy. When times are tough, people want to throw things out and go to these dark Orwellian authoritarian kind of places, as I've argued. People want to sit at home, wear their government-appointed gray garb, and await further instructions. So as you were breaking this down, and you as as the political observer, I know that you are, and we don't always uh, agree, um, what was it that you were seeing happening, whether it be on a federal level or on a local level, that people said, ooh, we've got the, vac- we, we've got the virus, here's a perfect opportunity to do blank. What did you see? Um. I, you know, I'm sorry. Rephrase the question. I'm sorry. I just I how people follow. utilized the virus to go about moving their agenda. This is the reason we have to do X, Y, and Z, and here's what we're going to do. Oh well. Uh, generally, what you saw is statements of principle for the most part, but the affirmation of the idea that getting out into the streets and demonstrating and agitating in favor of uh, reparative racial policies, which are now in in the Joe Biden's parlance, equity, are um, in essence an effort to put down, push down the scales, the balance, and impose social leveling, negative, negative social leveling, on the people and institutions who they think deserve it. And we're seeing that, we saw that in the streets, obviously, in the form of some of these attacks on uh, businesses and institutions that were perceived to be owned by demographics that have benefited from their racial heritage, their accidents of birth. Um, But you see this now in the Obama administration's policies insofar as it has come out against um, the uh, lawsuits that are directed at colleges and universities that are accused of discriminating against Asian Americans, in part because Asian Americans perform very well in a condition that allows them to perform on merit alone, meaning just by virtue of test scores. The Trump administration joined that lawsuit against Yale and Harvard, for example, and the Biden administration is expected to withdraw from it, in part because that discrimination is an effort to rebalance the scales. This is exactly what the people in the streets were demanding, and it's what the president of the United States now supports. There's very, In my line, there's very little distinction between the two when it comes to their policy preferences, their means, burning down buildings, they disagree over a little bit. But their aims, their ends, are pretty well aligned. When I take a look at that conversation, I take a look at uh, the life after the, the death of George Floyd, those uh, protests, those riots, that social justice maneuvering, and where some of those things played out. When I take a look at coronavirus specifically, I take a look at, oh, see, this just proves we need government running healthcare, and this just proves we need more government control over uh, healthcare, and we need to be uh, moving dollars to people. All of a sudden, there's this whole conversation again about UBI, universal basic income, how are they going to change the tax credit to be this $300 a month, which seems to me to be a play uh, on that space. So there's we're actually engaged in two conversations, but as you see it, there, there's a twain that does meet. Well, I, I would actually, I mean, you touched on the COVID relief bill, and I would love for there to be a little bit more discussion on the right about the actual particulars of the bill. Buried beneath it are um, things like a bribe for federal workers, so long as their kids are out of school, to the tune of $1,400 a week, in 
most federal workers have their kids in public school, at least, and most federal workers have their kids out of public school because the public schools are closed. And we've established essentially a conspiracy of interests to keep those schools closed in the Washington, D.C. and surrounding suburbs. A bailout for the city of San Francisco, for example, to the tune of, I think, $650 million, which will erase their budget deficit and prevent them from a reckoning that they've long deserved over expensive public services and public sector layoffs that they've been putting off forever. And the delayed distribution disbursements of these funds, which Mitt Romney alleges is an artificial effort to boost the baseline federal spending so that you have a baseline that you can't cut that's to the tune of $900 billion more than it was the year before. And all this sort of stuff deserves to be talked about by politicians, in part because the American public isn't really that well equipped to navigate this massive package. It's, it's up to them. So as much as I appreciate culture warring over Dr. Seuss, for example, which I think is something that you and I should be talking about ad nauseum, I'd, I'd appreciate it if the Senate minority or the House minority leader, for example, would stop reading the book on camera and start talking about the bill that's about to pass through his chamber. Well, if we're going to be calling out Kevin McCarthy, I mean, we, we got 434 more people to go. I think everybody's in for, for a little bit of do. Uh, but your, your point is taken that there is much in this bill that we don't know. And this whole COVID relief bill seems to be a, a proof of uh, your article there, a commentary about the idea of the power grab. The bill itself, $1.9 trillion, is about saying we've got a crisis and we have to do something. So here's all the things we're going to do, including, as you're describing, a lot of payoffs. A lot of payoffs. And, you know, there's there's a lot of things that are very popular in there, for example. And some of them, I think it's a, it's a profound experiment in just Keynesian thinking. And the assumption here that, you know, there's going to be a multiplier effect, just giving people money, giving parents money on a pretty regular basis. And it's hard to argue against that because people like getting money. But there are dis- there are problems associated with that. There are disincentives towards work. In 1968, for example, the um, uh, LBJ administration pursued an experiment in which they said, you know, here's some money. It's called a negative income tax. It gave people money based on their earnings if they had graduated based on their earnings. And the, the Stanford researchers who reviewed this experiment found that it had the propensity to disaggregate the nuclear family. It made it less likely that the breadwinner would remain within the family. So as much as it sounds great, if you're a parent, to have this kind of money, creating incentives in this way does have dangerous effects on the stability of, uh, of societies as presently constituted that no one wants to talk about because it's so popular right now. Everything's so popular. But all these things have tail effects, long-term tailwinds that we don't know how it's going to unfold. And some of these some of them may be pretty bad. So Democrats who are resting their, you know, their hats right now on the poll numbers around this thing may be setting themselves up for a fall because poll numbers shift. The effects of this bill are going to be very long term. And we're going to, people like us are going to be talking about the San Francisco bailout forever, long after everybody's gotten, received, and spent their $1,400 check. Now, by the way, I want to make sure... I'm clear. When you're talking about LBJ, are you talking about negative income tax, which was Milton Friedman? Or are you talking about reverse income tax? Negative income tax. The, uh, the Office of uh, Economic Opportunity in the White House in 1968 picked a couple of communities in my home state of New Jersey to test this out on. And some researchers with Stanford later reviewed its effect and concluded that it had the tendency to force the breadwinner out of the family. This is not something that we and this is something you can observe 
elsewhere in societies that have tried this out in Finland and Toronto, for example, that have all tried a UBI. The incentives not to work were observed in every occasion, every case. It's popular to get money, but it has dangerous effects on society. That right there is Noah Rothman. The book Unjust, U-N-J-U-S-T. Get it at Amazon.com, wherever fine books are sold. The article, Leveraging Racism for a Pandemic-Level Power Grab. Grab that at CommentaryMagazine.com. Noah, always a pleasure. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz. Candace Owens is getting a talk show. Good. The Daily Wire, which is now getting into, into movies and working on distribution, they moved themselves to Nashville out of Los Angeles, and now Candace Owens is going to do a nightly talk show. I don't know if it's going to be good. I don't know if it's going to be successful. What I know is this is exactly the place we're supposed to go, something we've been talking about here for a while. I'm not as well financially backed as the people at the Daily Wire. Otherwise, we'd already be doing. But the more, the merrier. When Fox News made the announcement that Greg Gutfeld was going to do a five-night-a-week late-night show. I said, ooh, this is a change. As I had known the stories, Roger Ailes forced everyone to call it Fox News. Couldn't just call it Fox. Had to be Fox News. Why? Because news had to be in the title. This is who we are. This is what we do. Now, maybe Ailes would make this change. Maybe Ailes would see the landscape and make this change. Maybe Ailes would have made this change five years before, for all I know, being a, a more of a visionary dude as he was. I never met the man, by the way. But the move into late night and the need to compete in late night is extremely important. There's a huge audience that is not getting serviced by Colbert or, or Fallon or Jimmy Kimmel because they're awful. Seth Meyers, they're terrible. Terrible elitist progressives. So you want something else. You're looking for something else. I think there's something else out there. So good on Candace. I only, I've never met her. I wish her the best. And there's room for even more. <clears throat> you know what I mean. <clears throat> more. Just has to be, guys. Has to be. You're going to rely on them to provide content for you? Or you're going to rely on you supporting people who create content you enjoy. I'm Tony Katz. So the trial is going to start in the George Floyd case. It was delayed a day as they were taking a look at some of the charges. We discussed the issue with uh, the conversation about third-degree murder. And now they're like, okay, we're good uh, to go. The judge, Peter Cahill, sent the jurors home yesterday. They're ready to go. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's so good to be with you. 833-GOT-TONY. would love to hear from you. 833-468-8669 on Facebook. Tony Katz Radio, uh, that's where you get to be a, a part of the things. So the, there was a motion that was filed with the Minnesota Court of Appeals asking to stop the case until the Minnesota Supreme Court made a decision on whether or not to reinstate this charge of third-degree murder. Now, this whole thing is, is about whether or not it applies here. Because it, it's something that exists in Minnesota. Third-degree murder uh, comes when someone is a 
is a threat to those around them. Well, there's an argument that that officer, former officer Chauvin, 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 was not a threat to other people. It was just a threat to George Floyd. I'm not trying to diminish anything. I'm saying that from a legal standpoint, he wasn't a threat to other people who were around the area. So does the third uh, uh, third degree murder charge apply? Then there is a case involving another officer who shot and killed a woman. And he was charged with third-degree murder. So why would it be allowed in one case involving a cop and not another case? As other, some judges are saying yes and some are saying no. So the Supreme Court there may have to come to a decision on this of whether or not it's a charge that can be filed because it's a question of what options you're giving the jury. Well, you need to know, you might need to know what those things are as you're maybe looking for a jury, as you're giving them something to contemplate when the case finally begins, to give them options. Because they could feel, it's not murder, it's manslaughter. It's not manslaughter, it's third degree. It's not this. Uh, what goes through the mind of a jury? I don't know, I've never been on a jury. I've never actually been called for jury duty. Never once. I am I'm, I'm, I think I've done everything right. I, I think I've registered or whatever it is you're supposed to do. You just exist, right? You just exist and they send you a thing and say, hey, jury duty. I've never, I think my wife has. I think my wife has when she was pregnant and she just wrote back, pregnant, would love to have a baby in a courtroom. And then they never bothered her. But I, 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 I've never gotten it. So we're going to follow this as, as, um, as it goes, as it happens, and we will keep up with it. Let me head over to Teen Vogue. I know, I know, Tony, you're still reading Teen Vogue. I am. I really and truly am. Teen Vogue is worthy of, of knowledge because if you have kids, Teen Vogue is something your kids may be reading online or maybe some level of print. And Teen Vogue has a tremendous amount of progressive thoughts in their pages. Well, Teen Vogue brought on a new editor. They, we, we need some new blood here. Their new editor is Alexi McCammond. And you know that name. You know that name because Alexi McCammond was working for Axios, news organization, and dating TJ Ducklow. You know that name because TJ Ducklow he was part of the Biden campaign and was the deputy press secretary for Joe Biden. It was T.J. Ducklow in this relationship with Alexi McCammond who went after a Politico reporter threatening to destroy her because the Politico reporter was reporting on their relationship. Why would anybody report on their relationship? Because as a reporter for Axios, Alexi McCammond was covering Joe Biden. So here is a reporter in a relationship, an intimate one, with the deputy press secretary for uh, the president. That creates a conflict of interest. Axios tried to solve the conflict of interest by saying, you know what, you don't cover Joe Biden anymore. Now you cover Kamala Harris. Well, problem solved. 
take her off Biden, put her on the vice president. No pillow talk there. Done and done. But T.J. Ducklow had threatened this reporter. Now, if you remember Joe Biden very carefully, he said that if you I catch you disrespecting somebody, being rude to somebody, talking down to somebody, I will fire you on the spot. And so what did he do with T.J. Ducklow? Waited a week and a half. Or was willing to wait a week and a half. Uh, Ducklow resigned after three days because he was told he was going to have to take a week off without pay. That'll show him. Joe Biden threatened to fire people on the spot if they acted like Donald Trump. That's basically what Joe Biden was saying. And there was TJ, uh, TJ Trump right there. Right, I'm trying to think of it like they would say it. There's TJ Ducklow being rude and threatening to destroy people, and nothing happened to him. He got to resign on his own account. Well, Lexi McCammond has now been named the editor of Teen Vogue. And the staff of Teen Vogue, they responded thusly. <gasps> because it turns out that Alexi McCammond has a history of some tweets. Don't let your kids on Twitter, people. I'm trying to help you the very best I can. Now, Alexi McCammond is 27 years old. So these tweets are from when she was in college. So 10 years old? And what do these tweets say? These tweets show her very unhappy with, for example, a teaching assistant. Give me a two out of 10 on my chem problem. Cross out all my work and don't explain what I did wrong. And that would have been enough. She could have said, hey, thanks, TA. You're great. Thanks a lot, stupid TA, meaning teaching assistant. You're great. That's not what Alexi McCammons wrote. Now, now, producer Ari, I'm going to say it. I want you. I want you to be OK. I'm quoting someone else. That's uh, you can't even. Is it something that if you weren't quoting, you wouldn't be allowed to say? The word, wait, wait, well, how about this? I'll do it totally out of context and then everyone can piece it together, right? This, this is where we are. The word, the password is, the word is Asian. Yeah, no, you can't say that. So she didn't say, thanks a lot, stupid TA. She said, thanks a lot, stupid TA. Yeah, no, that's bad. Right? She has another tweet. That said, now Googling how to not wake up with swollen eyes. Except she didn't say swollen eyes. She said swollen eyes. What? The, the word was Asian. Oh. Uh. Now Googling how to not wake up with swollen mm, eyes. That's not a word that should be in your vocabulary. In my life, if I tweeted anything like that, it would have already been found, right? I got to assume it would have been found by now. I don't think I've said anything like that. What context would I be using? Holy cow. McCammond deleted the tweets and has apologized for it. Condé Nast, which owns Teen Vogue, has accepted her policy. Why? Throughout her career, she has dedicated herself to being a champion for marginalized voices. Two years ago, she took responsibility for her social media history and apologized. Now, 
Name for me anyone else who gets to take uh, responsibility for their social media history and apologize. Show me where else this gets done. Show me the Republican who gets to do this. Show me the white male that gets to do this. And I'm about to show you all the hypocrisy you can handle. You're going to be so full, you're not going to have any room for pie. First, can, she's 27 throughout her career. Throughout her career? What career? Uh, I want to be clear about something. You can be bright at 27. Uh, unless you were in the military, it's very hard to have had a career by 27. That's, that's not how it works. That's not how. Stop it. Stop kidding yourself. She hasn't had a career. She hasn't done anything yet. Except write some really dumb tweets and apologize for it and get cover from Conde freaking nast. But remember, if she had been a Republican, it's over. They'd be calling her a racist today. Because we've already seen this happen time and again. A white male, bigot. That's what they would be doing. So the reason I bring up Teen Vogue is that you should know not only who is now in charge, you should know what it is that they accept and the lengths that they go to to protect their own. These are the people who are influencing your daughter, maybe your son, your grandkids, your friends. This is why it's important. This is why culture matters so much. Look at what they are doing. You should know. I'm happy to share the info. I'm Tony Katz. In your social media feeds, there is video of a fight that happened at a Bath and Body Works in Arizona. I don't know if you've seen it or not. Tony Katz, so good to be with you, Tony Katz, today. And in this fight, there's a woman who is angry at some people who work at the uh, Bath and Body Works. And the next thing you know, bang, pow, ping. The fists are, are flying. People go to the ground. And one of the male co-workers is, is trying to, to break them up. That's a pretty weird story that you can get into a fight at Bath and Body Works. I mean, the place smells so good. All right, admittedly, the price tag might freak you out, but it's Bath and Body Works. Isn't it usually like like, like th- three things for a buck or whatever it is? I, I, can't, I haven't walked into a Bath and Body Works in a good long time. But they got into a fight. Very strange. That's not the story. The story is those people who were taking video of the fight. I've edited the best I could. Listen. She's, oh, 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 
took video of a fight between these women. We don't break up fights. Is, is this where we are now? Honestly, I was four seconds away from somebody yelling, World Star! Although nobody actually did it. I was pretty disappointed in that. We don't break up fights now? Better to just record it? So I, I brought this up on my morning show and felt the need to, to bring it back here. Because it bothered me. The people would take video rather than help. And is, is this where we're at? Hey, it's not my fight. I'm not getting involved. I'm not going to be a part of it. There are moments not to get involved. I don't say no. If you don't feel that you can physically make a difference, if you feel that you can get hurt, if you're, you've got children, I can appreciate not getting involved. If you're a grown man and two women are in a fight or, or, or a woman is being attacked by another man, do you, do you just let it happen? I, I, I would hope not. Now, it can get very, very crazed uh, because, like, like, getting involved in a domestic dispute, man, that can only lead to trouble. That, my father taught me that when I was a young man. There's no understanding people in a domestic dispute, right? They hate each other, but they love each other, but they're codependent on each other, and it's why sometimes women don't leave when they're already being abused, and it's hard to help because they won't take the help, and then you're getting involved, and hey, who do you think you are? And create a lot of issues. Yet I watched women roll around on the floor, and punch each other and people were shooting video and I said this is I, I don't know maybe this very much seems like the end of days right here this this seems like a lost nation and a lost soul if you see someone being attacked is it to look the other way you hear screaming out the window and and you and you you look out the window and you see someone being attacked. You just say, hmm, well, maybe if I just close this shade, no one will notice that I noticed. I won't be able to see it. And if I can't see it, it isn't actually happening. It's creepy that this is where society is. People are hurting each other because they're in whatever kind of rage. I mean, I guess we could look into that too. What kind of rage that are you in where like it, and it's not even it's not even, you know, Black Friday, it's not Christmas. It's not the last of the tea tree oil. What are you in a fight over? So I I I I stare at this. And I and I ask myself, is this is this the sign of 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 bad times? of us in this almost morally reprehensible kind of place. And I'm left saying yes, while I could also list off all the reasons why you wouldn't get involved. In the end, I can't, I can't escape the, the reality that we're, we're, we, we allowed this to happen. Well, Tony, we're supposed to call the authorities and let them handle it. Oh my. We're, we're, we're abdicating all responsibility. Is this what we've taught ourselves? Tony, they're in the fight. Why am I getting involved? You're not taking a side. You're preventing people from hurting each other or hurting others because, well, that's what you should do. Listen, if two grown adults want to beat the snot out of each other, I say let them. Okay.
But this wasn't that. This was one woman who got angry at an employee and decided to push. The employee did push back. Struck me as such a, such a problem. And I've got all the reasons I'm with you about why you don't get involved, but you know what? I think you have to. And I'm wondering whether this is just this situation or is this a larger issue worthy of our discussion. Have it over the dinner table. Let me know tomorrow. This is Tony Katz today.